We are in the third week of this series called Watch Me, and we've been unpacking a verse out of Mark 8, 22 through 25, and it's three, uh, four verses, and it just kind of jo- talks about Jesus healing someone, helping him see, and the whole kind of premise of this series is that we would all be able to see kind of the way Jesus sees people, that we be able to see people the way that he sees them and the needs that are happening in their lives. So let's jump into that verse really quick and kind of just begin to talk this morning. Uh, Mark 8, 22, it says, When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. And so that's our kind of prayer today, that we would be able to see everything clearly as it pertains those, to those around us, that we would see people for the needs and the, the issues and the things that are happening in life for who they are, for how God loves them and how God sees them, that we'd see them in the same way. Because oftentimes it might be a process where, where over time we begin to see a little bit more. As we grow closer to Jesus, we begin to see people for who they are and how God loves them a little clearly, a little more clearly as we go through our lives and grow closer to Him. And so as you've been unpacking these verses the past couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, Thad really unpacked that scripture. And so if the, anything kind of sounded funny to you, because it was, I mean, spitting in, like spitting in dirt and putting it in someone's eyes, it's a little weird. And so uh, if you, if you want to get more info on that, I'd encourage you to listen to the talk from two weeks ago. Last week was Mother's Day, and we had a great time celebrating our moms and kind of talking about how they look differently, not physically, but how they actually see people differently. They, they look to help. And so that was like our big action point last week, that we should watch, pray, and help people. And so one of the things, I just want to share a story this week that kind of talked about mothers in just a great way. Me and Thad were kind of preparing, um, just we were in a meeting at Starbucks, and all of a sudden this lady comes to sit next to me, which isn't weird, or it was, I mean, if she's like, not like literally next to me, but you know, uh, normal of space in between two random people out of Starbucks. And she sits down and is like, I don't notice people usually. Usually I'm just like working or I'm focused on what I'm doing. The only time I see people is if someone comes and says hello. Or if uh, the, my favorite is when someone's watching something funny on their laptop with their headphones on. And then they just start laughing out of nowhere. Like that's one of my favorite moments in Starbucks because it's just hilarious. And the person doesn't know how like loud they're being when they're laughing. And so I, I like to experience those moments. But one thing that caught my eye about this lady is she had a book and then one of those envelopes with the plastic on the front. And so for me, you know, if you grew up as a kid, which all of us did, but if you played in sports or did class pictures, uh, those, your pictures come in those envelopes. And so I, always, I just knew exactly what I was right when I saw it out of the corner of my eye. And so then the other thing that caught my eye is she's just like, just smiling. And I'm like, what is she smiling about? And so then I looked and realized that she had her child's pictures in her hand, and she was just looking at them, and just the biggest, like, widest grin on her face. And so it just was a pure example of what Thad was talking about, about how moms watch and look differently. And so, of course, almost like I am right now, I was just kind of (laughs) like, I was like, you know, my mom died like three years ago, and so 
I uh, laughed so I don't cry, you know, about these things. And so, of course, I was just trying to, like, move along. I was, like, trying not to get all emotional in the Starbucks because Thad was right in front of me. He had no idea that this was going on. And so it was just this, like, cool moment where just another opportunity to recognize the role that moms play in our lives because, like, my mom scrapbook like crazy and so she'd hold on to those pictures and she would just love to have those and I even got my sports picture into a Wheaties box and it was just cool it was just the total fake Wheaties box that you can buy that only there's one box so I think I still have it but in my box there's a Wheaties box that has my soccer picture probably from fourth grade and it's just like a cherished memory and so moms you're awesome and so I just thought I'd say that publicly as well you don't suck that's why we got you succulents last week and so just had to say it again and (laughs) so just those cool moments but that's what this series kind of brings up is that we get to watch We get to look at people differently, that we should see them more clearly for the way that God sees them. And so just as a mother looks after her kids lovingly with pride, and as she also looks to help in the situations where her child might be in danger, so does God look on us. God loves you so much. He looks on you with pride. He loves you unconditionally. And that's what this series is all about, is that we would be able to see that as well. So using the action point from last week about how we should watch, we should pray, and we should help people, we're just going to extend it with just a couple more words. And the big idea today is that we need to help with love. So if we're going to watch, we're going to pray, and we're going to help, but we're going to help with love. God showed us his love. We read this in John 3, 16. It's not, on your, it's not on the screen, but God loved us by sending Jesus so that we would have eternal life in him. God didn't send Jesus to condemn us, but he sent us to save us. That's the way God looks at us. That's the way God loves us. He helps by sending Jesus to us. He helped with love. And so to help illustrate this further, I want to read a quick story from Mark 2, and in this moment, Jesus is teaching the crowds, and he's, he's asking people to follow him, and it's around the time where Jesus is gathering more of his disciples around him, and so he comes upon a tax collector named Levi, and if you know anything, as you read through scripture about tax collectors, they're not very loved, they're actually hated by everyone around them, and they're considered outcasts in their community, and it's not the people that you want to associate with, but Jesus found this man named Levi, and so he asked him, come and follow me, be my disciple, and so it might have been... It was a huge proposition. It's a huge ask by Jesus, but Levi chose to follow him. And so we read in Mark 2, 15 through 17, the story goes on and it says this later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And then there's the society that says there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. And that's really cool to think about because I consider myself a sinner. I've sinned and I'm so grateful for God's forgiveness in my life that I've chosen to follow him and that God still loves me through the things that I've struggled with in my life. So it goes on, it says, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And so when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so I think this verse, these verses just exemplify 
the love that God has for everyone. The way that God is willing to initiate love and kind of jump into people's mess and to jump and just initiate love even with the outcasts, the people that are far off from God, the people that the religious people, the the people that would say, I know everything and I've got this truth in my life, that Jesus was still willing to initiate that love with them. And so it was to show God's love that Jesus came for those who needed him. He came for the sick, the broken, the weary. And so what I love is if you just put yourself in the situation where you go to the doctor and, you know, you're, you, you sign in, maybe the nurse takes you back to the office and then the, you know, I've, my doctor always knocks before he comes in. And I just find it really hilarious and actually very offending if, like, the doctor's like, oh, you're sick? Like, I, I can't see you, you know? Like, if you just like, wait, 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 you're telling me you have, like, the flu or something? Well, I'm not going to see you. Wait until you're healthy and then come back and then we'll do this checkup. And so that's what Jesus is saying. It's like, that's, the healthy people don't need the doctor. It's the sick people that do. Jesus is coming to help the brokenhearted, to help those that are far off. And that's everyone. And so Jesus saw everyone. He was looking to help. So an invitation to a tax collector's house was exactly where Jesus needed to be in that moment. But those who knew the real truth, in quotes, the real truth, thought that was so offensive. And so we have this contrast between this so-called truth and then this love that Jesus has. And so this illustrates a tension that we're going to be talking about today that we actually have to live in the middle of, that we have to hold on to truth because, you know, we're followers of Jesus. We've chosen to put our lives in him. So that's great and good, this truth over here. But this tension of where we also need to hold on to the love and show that to everyone at the same time. And so to help us do that, Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says this. This is Paul, and he's writing this, and he says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Alert mind, always thinking about what God has for us and a thankful heart, being thankful for what he has done for us. So he goes on and says, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. And I just find that really kind of jumps out, that Paul would say that he, he's basically asking that we would have opportunities to talk about this mysterious plan. I love the humility that Paul speaks on. He says, he's saying that it's not like something that I know how to just speak with just this great authority, but he understands that for anyone to choose to follow Jesus is a big deal. And they might have questions. They might have things going around in their mind and that it's a mystery and it's a beautiful mystery that talks about God's love for each of us. But he goes on and says, that's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And so this is kind of the verse I want us to all think about and pray about multiple times today. It says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Gracious and attractive is how our communication and our words should be when we're talking to those who are non-believers. And so when we pray, just like Paul, we want to pray for those opportunities for us to be able to reveal the mysterious plan that Jesus has for us. 
We need to live wisely among those who might not be following Jesus. We are around a lot of people who aren't following Jesus. You have coworkers, you have friends, you have neighbors, you have maybe people in your family. You have people that you come in contact each and every day that aren't followers of Jesus. And so our words should always be gracious and attractive in those moments. We should be quick to be those that are gentle and humble in our communication. And wisdom is what we also need to pray for, that we know the right moments to be able to speak up and to say something, to be there for them in those moments of need and be able to say, you know what, I'm here for you and I'm ready to help. And so we have three thoughts today that kind of talk about this tension between truth and love, and we want to talk about those today. And so thought one, we're just going to start off right from the beginning and say this idea that truth without love is empty. And so what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that in the age of likes and comments and shares and retweets, and it's super easy to just say our opinion and just be like, think that we come from the place of truth and we just get the opportunity to speak that and everyone gets to hear it and everyone's just going to love it when they hear our words. And so what we find though in our culture today is that this opportunity for us where everyone has a loud voice is we become more polarized in the things that we're saying. We're farther on the, the left, farther on the right, for lack of a better word. If I could think of something else not to put us in that mindset, I would. We think about any opinion or any issue or any conversation, and quickly, if you're having it online, it can turn into fighting and anger, and we all think that we are coming from the place of truth with whatever opinion that we have that's going on in our minds. And so what I love about just scripture and Jesus is that there's like a different way. So I like to always think there's a left, there's a right, there's one option, there's option two, there's option A, there's option B, and I always like to think that most of the time, Jesus' option is always like a third or different way. That Jesus is always going to come in there with grace, humility, and gentleness. And just if you look around, that's not really what our culture really loves. We love the flashy. We love the opinionated. We love the things that build our own story and build our own culture, that build our own mindset. And we like to share and just express those things. But I like to think Jesus is the one who's like, I'm here coming, and I'm going to be gentle with those that disagree with me. I'm going to be humble and approach them. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 kind of talks about this. And it says this, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if you knew the absolute truth, and you were sharing it, but if you didn't have love, you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. So like literally, this is what Paul is saying. Like if we have all the knowledge of what truth really is, and we do through the Holy Spirit, we have this confidence in the truth that we have. But if I didn't love others, I would be nothing. He goes on and says, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So even in our actions, 
We could think we're doing the right thing. We could think we're helping or we're fixing an issue or a problem. But if it's not coming out of a place of love, Paul says that it means nothing. Truth without love is empty. If we're going to proclaim a truth that we think even is founded, and we can go through Scripture and we can thump people with Scriptures because it's truth and we believe the Bible is real, we can go and mess people's lives up when we use this truth, but we don't have love. But the opposite is true as well. Thought two is that love without truth is empty. And so, yes, truth without love distorts a picture of who God is, but love that is not anchored to truth will lead people absolutely nowhere. And so that's what we often hear in our society today is that we just love people where you do you, you go out and do that. And so what happens is everyone is going in their own directions and we have to be cool with that. And we have to be so just like understanding of every little thing. But what we realize is that if we don't have love and if that love's not anchored to truth, then that love is eventually going to lead to nowhere. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 23 says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. That's pretty clear. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. So there's this idea, this focus on what truth is. It actually cleanses us from our sin when we choose to believe in the truth of Jesus, that he lived, died, and rose again three days later. That's what cleanses us from our sins when we ask for forgiveness. We believe that. But now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And so today I just want to encourage you, you have the truth. The Holy Spirit is constantly reinforcing who God is and who Jesus is in our lives inside of us if we've chosen to follow him. But now it's our decision and our turn to realize that we have an opportunity, a mandate to take that truth and not bash other people with it. But we want to love people because that's the same way that God loved us. To think about the moment that you first chose to follow Jesus. I hope it was a moment where you just were like, God, I choose to just surrender to your love. I don't deserve it. I maybe have done things wrong in my past, but God, I ask you to forgive me, and I just want to embrace that love. Other people are crying out in those moments as well. And sometimes your words, your actions, the way that you interact with them will be the thing that will help them see the love of Jesus. So love grounded, anchored, founded in truth is what lets us see others clearly and love first. It helps our hearts ache for situations that only a miracle of God can possibly remedy. It lets us just get into the mess with people's lives and initiate into people's messes and just say, you know what, I am choosing to love you through this. I am choosing to be anchored to this truth of a miracle working God and I'm going to love you through whatever is going on in your life. And so for some of us, that might be families who are sick. For some of us, that might be an angry coworker that just says, you know what, I'm going to love you, but I'm going to anchor onto the truth that says I am not going to be brought down by this. Whatever we choose to do, we need to see people clearly because God has clearly seen us. So it helps us look differently, ready to help, 
pray, and take action. It helps us restore people who might be making crazy wrong decisions in their lives rather than condemning them and judging them and making them feel even worse about it. Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto their right path. Gently and humbly help these people. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. And so I, I love that. It's like, you are not that important. And so sometimes we just need to remember the law of God, the law of Jesus that he proclaims. And over and over and over again, just like in that story we talked about with Jesus having dinner with Levi, it was to love, to love your neighbor, to initiate love even if someone who's an outcast, even if someone disagrees with you about today's political ramblings, even if someone has wronged you Jesus says to love them. Even if someone has hurt you, even if someone has done this. And so it can get really sticky. It can get really messy really quickly. But this is why we anchor our love and truth. This is why we remember that God is the one who sent his son that initiated love for us. We anchor our love in that truth and we love others with it as well. All of this really reminds me of lifeguarding. You know, if you've ever been to a pool or the coast and you got lifeguards out there, what are they doing? They're constantly watching to help people. They're looking out over, of course, the water. You know, they're taught to scan, like, systematically um, what to do. And the reason I know all this is because I'm actually a certified lifeguard. And I had to do this because I have one shift at the YMCA on Friday nights. And so I had to be certified lifeguard. And I remember jumping into that training time and I was just a little intimidated. I was like, you're saying I have to like actually save someone. Um, it's like a responsibility and it's a burden in those moments. And so I was like, I hope I can actually do this. And so I remember the week of training um, pretty clearly. It was, it was actually really fun. I, re I actually enjoy, I really love swimming. And so it was a fun, fun time to be able to apply it in a different sense. And so we would do class time, like where we'd study what to do. And then we'd jump in the pool and do some like practical drills and be able to save people. And, you know, you think like it's hard, but the water does most of the work. I actually learned how to flip people. Like it takes like one second where you just grab their arm and flip them and they just float on the top. It's like super simple. But so if you're ever doing it, don't try it. Get a lifeguard to do it because you'll get sued or something if you hurt, end up hurting them. But, um, but the thing you have to do and well, the part I want to get to is what you have to do is you have to strap them to a board. before You can't just like drag them out of the water. You have to strap them to a board and then pull them out. And it's a team thing. You have to have like two or three lifeguards that are helping. And so what I remember vividly though is like they specifically said, when you're strapping them onto the board, make sure it's secure and snug and then be very careful when you're pulling them out of the water because when you set them down, you can't just like drop them. And it's going to be tempting to just like, hurry up and get to start doing CPR, but don't drop them because you can end up giving them a head injury or, or a concussion. And so I was like, I was just like, I'm like, seriously, it probably it can't be that bad. We're just, let's just save the people. But then 
you have to like actually rehearse these things. And so I remember my opportunity to jump into the pool and actually act like I was drowning. I get flipped over. I get pulled to the wall. They put the board under me. They strap me down and they pull me. And it's like intimidating. You're just like sitting there strapped to this board. And the person who dropped me down was very gentle. But not gentle enough for my liking. And so I just remember getting my head onto the ground and it was just like, boom. I'm like, oh, snap. You guys weren't kidding. I like literally felt as like where your brain rumbles in your head. That's like a concussion. I didn't quite have a concussion and it was really a good job that the person did. So I'm not like knocking them. But actually one of my coworkers, and so this is the point I want to get to. One of my coworkers in training a few like months later actually did get a really serious concussion knocked her out for like three weeks because someone was just not careful enough when they were saving the person. And so you think about all this. Lifeguards are constantly looking out to help. They're looking out how to like save and initiate a rescue. They jump in the water. They bring them out. All of that work to then possibly give someone a concussion. And I think this is like a picture of what sometimes happens when we choose to follow Jesus and we maybe begin to grow in that relationship. We begin to really gain the truth that God gives us through his word and scripture. And then we begin to see the needs of other people. And we start initiating those rescues. We start seeing the needs and we want to love people genuinely. But we begin to just go to scripture and we begin to like talk to people. And we begin to just say our opinions founded in scripture. And we begin to like have these like social media moments where maybe you say, you shouldn't live your life like that. You should be doing this. You should begin to get nitpicky. And if we're not careful, there's a real tendency for us to slide from the one who is loved by God and then turning slowly turning into maybe what we read in that story, becoming a teacher of the law, a Pharisee of the law. And we begin to nitpick or we begin to bash people with our opinions or our thoughts about how they should be living their lives, even if they're not a follower of Jesus. It could be almost like we're saving them, pulling out of the water, and then at the last moment, we're dropping them on their head and actually injuring them more than if we would have just worked to love and save them through the situation. And so what I want us to really think about is how we can live in that tension. And so thought three is what we really need to land on today and really need to hope to God for and pray to God for in our lives is that the Holy Spirit helps us live in this tension. Because what I love is that when we choose to follow Jesus is that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us at that very moment. That we get to just begin to know that pleading on behalf, on our behalf, there's a Holy Spirit that's interceding us for words that we can't even comprehend in these moments. And so when you're sitting in a moment and you're trying to like just go through your life and live your life the way that you feel like Jesus would have you do that, to know that you have the Holy Spirit pushing you forward, propelling you forward. And in those moments, just like we read in Colossians at the beginning, to begin to see opportunities like a lifeguard to initiate rescue, to initiate like a love moment where you can begin to love someone. But also remembering that that love has to be grounded in truth. And I think that's where we begin to pray for those moments and opportunities. When our love is grounded in truth, then we begin to see the opportunities that actually show the truths lovingly to people. That we begin to see opportunities where we can meet a tangible need in someone's life at a moment where they're at their lowest. 
and they begin to see the truth of Jesus through the way that you're living. Almost like a prism of the light beam of God that would show maybe that light in a way that they can understand that you actually read scripture for them through the way that you're living your life and showing them love. That's someone so close to you that God has chosen you to be the person that shows Christ's love to someone else because you are holding on to the truth as you're going through that moment. But maybe you're tempted to be a truth teller, and that's a good thing. We need to speak truth, especially to power. We need to be able to know and understand who we are in Christ and how God loves us, and we should be confident in those things. But we need to be careful with the way that we hold that truth and the humbleness and the reality that we choose to express it. Maybe you're tempted to just love people. You're like, you know what? They're going their way. I'm going mine. I'm just going to love them through it. Never really connecting your love to actual truth that you found in your life. And so how do we merge these things together? Well, we look to Jesus and we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. We look to the example that Jesus said. Jesus was truth in bodily form. Jesus was like perfect in every way, yet he chose to initiate love with the outcasts, with those that are far off from God, those who are hurting that no one else could care for. Jesus was with them. And so it's when we live in the tension between truth and love that we experience this fullness of who Jesus is. We get to experience the fullness of Christ. We leave an empty truth, away, we leave an empty love away, and we choose to have the fullness of Jesus in the way that we live our lives. In Ephesians 4, Paul's writing a letter and talking about different roles inside of the church, and he begins to continue on about how the church is a body, and he says this in verse 14 of chapter 4. He says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about Bone about by every wind of new teaching, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And this is what happens when we choose to just like not be focused on the truth. It can be really easy for someone to say, well, I think we should start living our lives this way, or we should start doing this and said, this is what Jesus really meant, but it's not founded in scripture. So that Paul's warning them about that. And so then he says this, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. And if there's anything that you could grab from that verse, it's that verse 15. We will speak the truth in love, and then when we do that, we're growing in every way more and more like Christ. So when we see Christ's example, what we see is someone who spoke the truth, but in the perfect way, and that's in love. Paul concludes, and he says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly, As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And that's the community of the church. And so open life always has been and always will be an organization and a group that is holding on to truth in every moment possible, but always initiating love first. Always loving first. And so some people don't like that. 
Some people want us to have stances on every single issue and be able to proclaim those from our website. And sometimes we're like, well, no one goes to our website sometimes. Why do they need to know like, our different stances and all these things? But one thing we have to be absolutely clear on from the get-go, from the start, from the beginning to end, is that God loves you. That God loves people and he wants them to be in right relationship with him. And that's the only way to do that is through a relationship with Jesus. So it's love. We love everyone through the truth of who Jesus is. And so the temptation that we're going to constantly combat is that because we're confident in our truth, we think any way that we communicate it is a loving way to communicate it. You may have heard before that a hard truth spoken is the best way that you can love someone. And I would say... I would flip that around and say a hard truth lived out genuinely in your life is a much better way, as we find power from Jesus, is a much better way to show people God's love and God's truth is through the way that you live your lives and the way that you choose to love them. And so our action point today is that we would hold on to truth and reach out with love. That we would literally, in our minds, think about the way that we love people and understand that one, as we reach out with one hand, we are going to be anchored and hold on to truth with the other. Is that when I choose to love people or I choose to take initiative or action in someone's life to show my genuine love for them, also in the moment, think about that verse in Colossians and say, how could this be an opportunity to reveal the truth of who Jesus is in this moment of love? And so sometimes it might not be obvious. Sometimes you might take a pause and just say, you know what, this isn't the right moment. But if ultimately that's what we want to do is hold on to truth and reach out in love. And so as a lifeguard, you rescue for the knowledge that solid ground is where safety is. You're constantly jumping in and pulling them back to solid ground. And so it's the same way that we live our lives, that we are jumping into people's messes, knowing that we are holding on, we are anchored, we have a rope tied around truth, and we're constantly pulling ourselves back into that truth as the same time as we're reaching out and going out and initiating love with our community, friends, family, loved ones, whoever it is. And so to con conclude today, I just want to read Colossians 4, 2 through 6 again and let it challenge us to think how we should initiate this love and interact and love those who are around us. Paul says, finally, he says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you have the right response for everyone. So God, we just come before you today. We conclude with just a prayer, God, to let our minds focus on that verse. God, I just pray that you would find opportunities in our life to speak out your mysterious plan to love people, to love everyone. God, I pray that you would help us to know how to proclaim your message in the way that we should. 
God, I pray that you would help us to live extra wisely in this kind of culture of hostility, that we would know how to live our lives with those who don't want to even give you a breath of their lungs. God, I just pray, Lord, that we would just focus our hearts and pray for those who might be far off, who might be, far, who might be distant from you, God. And let us think of ways to initiate the love and the hope and the peace that only you can bring to them. God, let us make the most of every opportunity. Let our conversations be gracious and attractive so that we would know the right response for everyone. God, let us go out from this place encouraged by your Holy Spirit that's lifting us up, that's propelling us forward. Let us continue on what we talked about last week to watch for people's needs, to pray for their needs, and ultimately to help with love in every situation. God, we just proclaim your truth from the rooftops in moments like this where we can just praise and worship God. We take advantage of these moments, God, to be around other believers at this time, God, to just be encouraged by one another. God, let us take that seriously, to pray for other brothers and sisters in Christ, that we pray for those who are sick in our church, that we pray for those who are hurting, who need money, God, who need finances, God, that need direction for the next step in their lives, God. Whatever is happening in our lives, God, let us be people who take that seriously. But God, as we go out from here, let us also remember to embrace people with the love of Christ, holding on to the truth that only you bring us. And so we just lift up this next even five minutes to you, God, just to say, work in our hearts however you might do that. Speak to us as we worship or as we pray the words of this worship song, God. Let us just rest in your presence, God, and be propelled forward as we leave this place. And we ask this in your name. Amen.